Well, if I could ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're going to continue on this Palm Sunday. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be reading from the third chapter, verses 22 through the second chapter of the fourth verse. And as you're turning there, I've named it the Amazing Seesaw. And does everyone know what a seesaw is? By your laughter, I'm assuming that you do. And what happens in a seesaw? Well, when one goes up, the other goes down. Are y'all disagreeing with me over there? When one goes up, one goes down, and the verse, verse 30, where John says, he must increase, but I must decrease, is where that idea for the sermon title came from. He must increase, and I must decrease. But here's what I'd like to consider with you in the next several minutes that we have, is that when he increases and we decrease, It's not that we become less, it's that we become more. And you say to me, Pastor, that is double talk. Well, it's not double talk, and I hope uh, that in these next few minutes, uh, I can convince you that it is absolutely true, absolutely encouraging, and absolutely powerful. He becomes more, we become less, And in so doing, we become more. So look with me at the text which we'll read. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I was going to say from the New American Standard. It's been 45 years. Hadn't quite made the switch to ESV. But anyway, they're very similar. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was baptizing Uh, He was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and they were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ or not the Messiah, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard Of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. 
The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Thus God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And we thank you that you gave it to us. Not that we would just know the Bible, but that we would know you. We ask that you would help us, help me, Father, to explore this in a way that makes much of Christ, makes less of us, and yet in so doing makes us more. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In one sense, and it's a good sense, we do want to be more, don't we? We want to do things well. I was thinking, you know, if a little boy, if he can hit a baseball or he can catch a fish or he can ride his bicycle, I mean, you want to achieve, and that's a good thing. A girl wants to, girls want to do the same thing today, I suppose, uh, but they want to cook well or sew well or, or play tennis well or play basketball well. Uh, that's a good thing. It becomes a bad thing when it becomes uh, a comparison between us and others. And we use it to put down others to elevate ourselves. So there's certainly a, a sense in which uh, us, it's a natural thing to want to do well. And I want to encourage you to do well. In fact, everything we do is to honor Christ. And we want to do it well. But today we're going to talk about what it means to become less that we become more, and I'm going to give you several ways in which I believe uh, that we become more in this amazing, amazing seesaw. The first is we become more free, more free. Now, why do I say this? In verses 22 through 28, John, well, let me give you a little background here. Between the prophet Malachi, which was roughly 400 years before the coming of John, up until the coming of John, 400 years had elapsed, and there had been no prophetic word in Israel. None. God's people had not heard from a prophet or the similitude of a prophet for over 400 years, and along comes John. And he is uniquely born of parents who were too old to have kids, Elizabeth and Zacharias, he goes out to the desert, he grows up in the desert, and he begins to call people to repentance and baptism. And of course, we all know that for the Jew, forgiveness was done at the temple in Jerusalem. But that's not what John was saying. And so, the point I want to make is it was a unique thing that he was doing. In fact, I don't know why they didn't arrest him, because he was putting in question the whole sacrificial system in terms of its efficacy at the moment. And so the spotlight was on John. And it says in Mark that all of Judea was going out to him. And all in Jerusalem. We know that doesn't mean every single person. But anyway, it was the talk of the town. Big deal. But now things are changing. He had been unique. He had been singular. It was a tremendously powerful ministry uh, 
and now things were changing. And his disciples, speaking with a Jew, presumably a non-believer, were discussing about purification. And it doesn't tell us what they were arguing or discussing about, but I can imagine it was something like, whose baptism is more efficacious, Jesus or John's? Who's his best? I think, I think knowing people, I think it would be something along those lines. Um, and so the thought of being over the hill or outdated or outmoded uh, must have gone through John's minds and certainly his disciples. So they come to him looking for comfort, looking for support. And what does John say? He says in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So what's he saying? He's saying, followers of mine, what we were, the spotlight we had, the power we had, that came from heaven. It didn't come from me. And now, apparently, that spotlight is shifting. He didn't make excuses. He didn't complain. He said, nobody can receive anything unless they receive it from, from heaven. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, to quote Job. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, brethren, that is freedom. <laughs> to be able to just let it go. Just to let it go. You know, those words were similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, you know... God's grace to me was not in vain. I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet, yet, truth comes after the yet. Not I, but the grace of God in me. Well, that's what, that's what John is saying. And there's an amazing freedom. A couple other thoughts here. Is he didn't minimize himself, did he? He didn't. He didn't say, oh, I'm no good, I can't do it anymore. He didn't say that. In fact, he kept on baptizing. What you receive from heaven, you can receive, and if he doesn't give it, it won't, it won't go any longer. That's what he was saying. John doesn't cease to minister. He carries on, but he does so out of God's calling, without excuse and without regret. That is freedom, brothers and sisters. That is great freedom. John was free, free to be the talk of the countryside and now free to be who he always was, but without the notoriety. That is real freedom. So one, there is more freedom when he becomes more and we becomes less. I will say this too. There's also a great freedom to fail. To try ministry and it doesn't work. And get up again and try it again. Because not I, but Christ we make more of Christ and less of us. Tremendous freedom. I would say also that we become more helpful. And the reason I say this, it's one thing to do that for yourself. It's another thing when you've got a bunch of people depending on you. His disciples are coming, and here's what they say. They say, well, everybody now is going to, to Jesus and his disciples. Well, that wasn't really the truth. People were still coming to John. It's just more were going to, uh, to Jesus' ministry. 
And he's got all these people depending on him. I don't know if they took up offerings and these people's livelihood depended on John's ministry. I don't know. But they were followers and they were out in the wilderness. So somehow he had to provide for them. And, you know, he doesn't say, well, look, we're going to retool. We're going to change our ministry and we're going to make it better and we're going to get this thing going again. He doesn't do that at all. He says, no man, no man has really anything but that which heaven gives. So not only more free, but also more helpful. Because what, what did he say in verse 28? You yourselves bear me witness, I am not the Messiah. But in saying, I'm not the Messiah, what was he saying? But he is. And so he didn't turn his people attention to himself but to this one. And that's our job too, isn't it? No matter how cool we are, no matter how eloquent we are, no matter how efficacious we are, and whatever God has called us to do, our job ultimately is to point people where? To Christ. To Christ. And we become so helpful. So helpful. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to live godly lives, to do our best, absolutely. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't want them honoring me, honoring you. We want them honoring Christ. Now, you can say nice things, and you can say nice sermon when you leave. That's okay. You're supposed to laugh. (laughs) And we can thank people, and we should. And we should be thankful for people, the people that God gives us. But ultimately, those thanks must find their foundation in Christ and Christ alone a third way we become more we become more insightful and i think it's fair to say that god had given john the baptist some pretty amazing revelations so i'm not i can't say with any kind of integrity that just because we make more of christ that we're going to have the kind of revelations that john had even though now after the fact 2,000 years later, we do have much of those revelations through His Word and by His Spirit. It's true. But here's what to me is just so mind-boggling, is that Jesus and John the Baptist were relatives. They're mothers. It doesn't say exactly what the relation was between Mary and Elizabeth, but they were relatives. And so John and Jesus were relatives, and so John the Baptist knew that Jesus Christ was a human being, just like right here, Jesus, right there, me, you, human beings, fully human. He knew that. He saw that. He touched that. But now listen to what, listen to what he says. Whoa. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. What's that about? Well, in the Old Testament, the bride was Israel. The bridegroom was the Lord himself. Himself. So what is John saying? The bridegroom is Jesus. The Lord. I mean, it's incredible. Y'all don't seem so shocked. He's a human being that you can touch. And he says, he is the Lord God. And he meant it making much of Christ. Verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. (sighs) 
and I thought about this for a long time, above all what? Above all creation, above all everything on the earth? He just says, above all. And he is. You know, Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. You and me, right now, if Jesus didn't hold us together, we would be no more. He's above all. And he comes from heaven, even though I know his mom. How about that? Jesus becomes more. We become less. But in so doing, we become so much more. Verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God has given Jesus the Spirit without measure. What's he saying? When Jesus speaks, God speaks. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. That's amazing. A human being. When he speaks, God speaks. In fact, in John chapter 5, it says, Truly, truly, Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. That which the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. So John, Jesus bore witness to what uh, John was saying. Um, well, I, I won't continue there. All right. More insightful and then more grateful. More grateful. And I think this may be the most important one. The most grateful. More grateful. Why do I say that? Well, in verses 32 and 33, we have a little problem. Uh, it says, what he has seen and heard from God, of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. No man. Then he turns around and says, he who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. And I'm assuming that Paul, that uh, John the Baptist is talking about himself. So he says, no man receives his testimony or his witness. And then he turns around and says, but I receive his witness and testimony. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty much what it says. Uh, what he has seen and heard of that, he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. So what is going on? No man, and yet... I, John the Baptist, received it and bear witness, put my seal on it, that God is true. What is going on here? Well, I think this is what is going on. When I say more grateful, I think John the Baptist understood human nature at its most profound level. And we find that in Paul chapter 3 in the book of Romans, where he says, there are none righteous, there are none good, None seek God. The poison of acid is upon their lips. Together they are worthless. That's what Paul said. Why is that? Because human nature, your nature, my nature, in and of itself is dead and it will never seek God. Ever. 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 I think John understood that when he says no man receives his witness in and of himself. That's why John received his witness, because God had done a great work in his life, had regenerated a dead heart, a dead mind, a dead soul, and had given it life. 
And in giving it life, he had seen and witnessed and believed. And beloved, that's the reason we believe as well. And here's what I would say. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If that doesn't make us grateful, I don't know what can, and that we were dead. I was dead at 28 years old, and God in his great mercy came sitting in a pew alone at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and he said, kid, you are mine. He does it in different ways. Some people walk aisles. Some people have dreams in the Muslim world, supposedly. You read those. God does it in many ways, and we make decisions, absolutely. But underneath those decisions, you better know that it is God at work in you, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. And it is wondrous. And we should be amazed. And we should be the most grateful people on the globe. Because sinful, rebellious, broken people. In fact, I love what Pastor Dave says. It changes everything. Everything. And we are grateful people. Finally, I will say two quick things more, um, more useful, especially with the idea of mission. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus becomes more, we can say, unabashedly, without hesitation and without without being supercilious, without being self-righteous, there is no other name given under men, under heaven, by which we are to be saved. None. And yet, his arms are open wide. Whosoever, come, come. I love it in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Just prior to that, he said, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to babes. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. And then he also understands those who do not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. You know, in our day, many in the church want to make God a God of love, and that's it. He is also a righteous and wrathful judge. And he will condemn all who are not in Christ. We say it with tears, but it must be said and it must be preached and it must be lived out. He also understands by, I like this juxtaposition, he who believes has eternal life, he who does not obey. And so therefore we can understand that true faith produces what? True obedience. We're under grace. We're not trying to keep a law. It should be over and above the law. But we live lives because of the power of God in us that are pleasing to Him. Not perfectly. That's why we have confession every Sunday. And probably and should be every day. Uh, But nonetheless, we are being changed. And we're becoming like Him. Final point. More joyful. 
Back at verse 29, he said, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and so his joy of mine has been made full. Um, John was the friend who the friend at the wedding was the one who saw to all the details and had the, in the Hebrew uh, culture, uh, he was the one who was responsible for getting the bride to the bridegroom at the end of all the festivities, and then he was finished. So that's what the friend did. But you know what John also knew? John knew that he was the bride. He was the bride. And I can only reverse it because I'm not a bride in that sense. I'm just a husband. But and part, pardon this. No, don't pardon. But permit me just one moment of personal testimony. I can remember in 1986 in an abandoned semen center in Montreal in the old port when I first saw my wife. And I knew she did not that she was going to be my wife. And she was the most beautiful, wonderful, wondrous person. I'd, in fact, I thought she was an angel. And I'm hoping, <laughs> eventually, that's what she thought about me. But <laughs> is all I can say is if that's, the way, if that's the way the bridegroom felt, how must the bride feel when she knows that she is the object of the everlasting, perfect love of Jesus. Ephesians, I mean, uh, uh, let's see if I wrote it. Yeah, the prophet Zephaniah wrote this about the Lord. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. It's not that you and I need to make less of ourselves or to minimize ourselves or to decrease ourselves. No, no. We need to make much of Christ. And in so doing, oh, we'll become less. But we will become more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great seesaw. Amazing. That we become less. He becomes more. And in so doing, we become so much more useful. So much more blessed. So much more fulfilled. So much more joyful. And Father, may it be true of us more and more. As we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.